Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and today it's my great pleasure to introduce Chris Efficio. Chris is a man I admire enormously because he has been very successful in business and very successful as a parent. And we're going to be talking about both of those areas of people's lives today. Um, Chris is the founder and CEO of SRXA Strategic Pharmaceutical Advisors. And he is an entrepreneur, a leadership expert, an international speaker, and the author of a book I like very much, CDO, Chief Daddy Officer, The Business of Fatherhood. Welcome to the show, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you, Virginia. Well, it's really good to have you here. So let's start not at the very beginning, which was in Greece, I understand. Let's start with when and why you came to the United States. Well, that's almost the very beginning. At least I, I, I see it as such. Uh, I was uh, just about 19 years old uh, when um, I decided to leave Greece and come to the States for college uh, for no apparent rhyme or reason other than the fact that for some reason I was arrogant, arrogant enough to believe that Greece was just too small for me. And so I wanted to experience uh, the world outside of the country. And um, I joined a an exchange student group which brought me to the US as an exchange student for a year that allowed me to learn the language and to then get into college and the rest as they say is history or more accurately uh, this August it will be 39 years ago that this happened. Wow so you came to the United States not knowing English at all? No I I did not speak the language at all I Languages were not necessarily um, reinforced as part of of the classic education that um, the typical curriculum has now. Everyone now in Greece speaks at least one language, that being English, and most uh, speak multiple languages. Uh, so it is a very, very different culture today than it was back then, uh, all of it for the better. Okay. What were your early experiences like being in the United States and not yet knowing English? How did you manage that? How did people well, treat it was, you? It was, it was interesting because my physical uh, appearance did not help me. I showed up as a senior in high school at Western High School, just a few miles west of Boston. And so this is 1976, um, and I, as, as I mentioned before, I had already graduated from uh, high school in Greece, so I'm at least one plus year older than most kids are here, or were here at the time. So mm-hmm. I am 19-something, and most of them are early 17. I'm about 300 pounds, I'm six foot one, and I have a full beard. I looked more like their fathers than I did their classmate. So, wow. <laughs> unbeknownst to me, I, I didn't do much for myself to um, 
to fit in, if you will, at least physically. Uh, the fact that I couldn't communicate that that threw me out even more because, obviously, if you look at somebody who looks not like you and, and they look different, uh, physically different, and they cannot speak speak a, a word of English, they don't necessarily endear themselves to you know good company. But one of my earliest memories um, was that uh, as soon as I had come over from Greece, that was my first flight ever. Um, I remember I landed in Brussels and I connect to a different flight in um, in Brussels to JFK and from there, because the organization had not found a family for me to live with at that point, um, they sent me to uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where their uh, headquarters was at the time, for a three-day or four-day uh, long weekend that was supposed to pump English into me and immerse me into the culture. So in addition to all the typical things that, that they did to make us all friendly, America friendly, they took us to McDonald's. So I um, am about to order my first meal in, in uh, English and I look at the menu and there is nothing there I recognize. Uh, hamburger is not hamburger, it's Big Mac. And what we all know as French fries, the direct translation in, in Greek is, is fried potatoes. It's very close to, that, to the pommes frites in, in, in uh, French. So I tell the uh, person behind the counter that I want a hamburger and I want fried potatoes. And she looked at me as if I had 10 heads. So <laughs> I figured, well, this is, this is where the tire meets the road. You either, you either get it out of your mouth and you eat or you stay hungry. And, you know, the stomach prevailed. And so I tried to make myself understandable. Failing that, I reached behind the counter, grabbed her by the wrist, and ushered her to the big panels with the big, you know, backlit pictures of the Big Mac and the fried potatoes. So I point to the French fries, and I said, "See fried potatoes. See hamburger. Give me that." So she obviously begrudgingly served me. But can you imagine doing this today, reaching behind the counter right where the cash register is? And, and this is in suburban Detroit. I, mean, I cannot it's, imagine. It's amazing. I didn't. I, I. They didn't call the police on me. That be as it be that as it may. I'm. I'm thankful that that's what. Uh, that's how that story ended. But, you know, there were little things like that that, um, uh, you know, they can either make you or break you, and and unless you learn to roll with the punches and and do. Uh, the lighthearted thing, the rest of it is a whole lot more difficult to overcome. Yeah. I had a friend for a short time in graduate school who was also from Greece, and she said that her experience of Americans really surprised her, that we were not warm and welcoming. We didn't realize, here's a person from a foreign country, probably ill at ease. We should help her be comfortable. Um did you have similar experiences? That uh, Yeah, my experience was identical, but my view was a little bit different. Um, I did not think that anybody owed me anything, and it was my decision to come to this country. Therefore, it was 
my initiative to take to uh, acclimate myself into to this country and, and make myself feel welcome. I didn't expect that from others. What I received was even less uh, from the host family that I was living with, as well as classmates um, in high school and later in college. Because, again, this is 1976. Um, the country was plenty international back then, but nothing of what it is today. And uh, speaking with a very heavy guttural accent was not necessarily something that most people's ears was, was accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I very quickly had to learn was not only learn to speak the language correctly, but lose the heaviness of the accent because you can communicate probably in writing best because you don't, your voice is not heard there, but that's not how we live our lives. We, we speak to one another or should speak to one another. I'll come to think about it. You know, that's speaking is no longer necessary because we are texting, but you know, that that's one of my personal pet peeves, but whatever, whatever that is, the, the, point that I made for myself to myself was that, you know, the accountability rests with me and mm-hmm. I'm responsible to make myself feel welcome here. And if I endear myself to some people, well, most people are good and therefore they will accept that. And I immersed myself very much into the culture um, when I became a freshman in college. I mm-hmm. found myself being on a in a dormitory on the floor that I was uh, one of three students that were not African American. There were two Japanese. I'm sorry, one Japanese, one Jordanian, and myself. And that was was and still is a very international school. And so um, we, and that being again. In in uh, late seventies, this was something that, um, in especially in Boston, that African Americans were not necessarily welcome, and it was we're talking about an area of the country that was busing students and and was uh, very much, you know, um, unwelcoming of any kind of minority. And so well, you and the other foreign students were housed with the African American students who were not very welcome. Exactly. That sounds so, awfully unfriendly. Has has, it, has our country gotten any better? Is it easier now for people who come from Greece? Um, uh, yes, I suppose it is. Um, I am in contact with an all, a lot of um, students who I mentor and and counsel uh, from the university, and my. Uh, my take on that is that they have certain, they certainly feel more welcome, but the reasons why I was feeling unwelcome was was largely because of language, mm-hmm. and so most young kids college age today they are fairly fluent in English. I mean, you know, my nephews and nieces who who live in Greece, um, it's hard to believe that English is not their native language. And it isn't because they speak the language correctly, it's that they speak it with a almost imperceptible accent. So they certainly will not have an issue um, immersing themselves into the environment here, certainly not the issues I had. 
Yeah. But you you again, must have been very determined. It, 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 yes, um, and and the it, and there was there was good reason uh, for that. I when I made it known to my parents that I wanted to leave the country and go elsewhere for for my studies. Um, my parents and especially my father were were supportive enough, but the leash I had was only a year long, and the issue was. You go out there for a year, you learn the language, you get yourself into college, and if you don't, you come back and work for me. And most kids would have welcomed that. Um, I, To me, that was a dreadful situation, not because my father was a bad person, to the contrary. Uh, he was a wonderful man and, and a very loving individual, but I wanted to create my own mark to rise and fall on my own merits. And his footprint was just too large, and his shadow was, you know, too wide for both of us to thrive under it. So I knew that I would always be in his shadow, and that just didn't fly with me. So the determination was, if you're going to be your own person, better learn how to make it on your own elsewhere. I see. Well, that's a lot of motivation for sure. So what helped you the most to learn English? The other kids at high school or what? Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't the other kids at high school. Um, I would. Uh, this is this is a funny story actually because the host family I lived with while I was attending high school um, had they had two young children, um, ages about uh, seven and three or whatever. And so the reason they wanted me into that family was so that they teach their children and themselves Greek. They spoke. Uh, reasonably decent Greek, the, the parents, that is. Uh, uh-huh. The kids did not speak any. So that was the purpose why I was, I was there. And because of that, uh, they forbade me to speak English within, um, in, inside the house. And, and the few times that I did it, um, they took the extra step to ridicule me for doing it. And, and of course, that put a very quick end um, into the whole process. How does that play into learning my English? Well, luckily, those kids um, watched television in the afternoon, and that was the time that I was home from school, and they watched Sesame Street. And so to anybody who wants to learn English the world over, there is no better way to learn it than to listen to Sesame Street because it's visual, it's phonetic, and they actually pronounce the words clearly and identify the syllables, pronounce each one of them, and then the whole world together. So it is, I found it to be uh, my gateway, if you will, to learning the language. But of course, you know, Big Bird and Kermit Frog does not take you very far, certainly it doesn't take you into college. Right. Somehow I got there, and then, and then, as I said, I immersed myself into the community uh, and that community was the a minority community, but that became my world. And and um, I, not long after that, I found myself thriving in it because I was accepted by them. That's wonderful. I love that story about Sesame Street. Yeah. And it it is also wonderful that you found a set of people in college who were happy to just include you among them. So, how long were you in college? 
Um, I, I was in college for uh, on a full-time basis uh, for five years. I went to Northeastern University, and that school has a co-op program. So every program that's that's four years in, in your typical college is five years at Northeastern because they have the work-study program. So you work for six months and you study for six months. Yes, I'm so, very well acquainted with that. My dad went there. <laughs> Oh, well, then you know all about it. And so, um, and it still remains one of the premier schools uh, of, of co-op education, though there is a, a vast number of schools now that have adopted um, co-op education. But uh, to me, it was a way of paying for college. And it was uh, also a way for immersing myself into the culture because, um Speaking the language is, after all, the easiest thing. Uh, immersing yourself into the culture and becoming one of the masses um, is is not necessarily very easy. But you know, if if the United stands for uh, pluribus e unum, then let's just act that as opposed to just painted lip service. So pluribus e unum, out of the many, make one. Exactly. Okay. So that's, I don't know, to me that's very impressive. (laughs) Um, As I said, you must have been very determined. (laughs) You're very kind to say that, but um, every time I I feel that I get a little bit of a big head, I look at people who are younger than me, who have accomplished a whole lot more than I have, and this country is full of individuals who who have done the same thing. Um, Many of them doing it with both feet cemented, on the ground. I mean, you know, I was fortunate enough to come here out of my own volition, free will, and accord. I didn't come here to escape political prosecution. I didn't come here to escape hunger or anything like that. So, I, as as behind as I was, at least I didn't have structural things that that put me at a different level that other people had and continue to have. And so if, if they could succeed uh, with those impediments on, on their way, um, mine didn't look like such a big accomplishment. I see. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to tell us a little about the immigrant experience. We're going to take a break in a moment, and uh, everybody should stay tuned because Chris has a lot of wonderful stuff to teach about parenting and a lot of wonderful stuff to teach about being in business. And in many cases, those are the same skills. So we'll be hearing more about that after the break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. 
Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm talking today with Chris Efesio, who is, he's been recognized as one of the top 100 leadership experts to follow on Twitter. And he's also the author of CDO, Chief Daddy Officer, The Business of Fatherhood. So we're going to fast forward through some of Chris's early post-college years so that we can get to talking about parenting and talking about business. And again, I'm Virginia Collin, your host. Chris, um, so you went to college. It was a five-year program. Half the time you were working and half the time you were in school. You graduated? I did um, okay. in 83. And somewhere and along the line, you met a woman and married Correct. Uh, I had actually met her uh, very early in, in my college years. I think it was I was a sophomore or something like that. Um, and we um, we were together for six years before we were married, and then three years after that before my daughter came along. So that was that was quite a long time. It was, and, and, and then. And my my reason for being here um, was not to get married. It was to complete my education, and and um, I was I had a pretty clear picture of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it, and that did not involve being a married a married student. So that went on the back burner, and then um, when the time was right, things happened. Okay, so. Six years of being in a relationship and then three years of being married before you felt the time was right for your first and, I gather, only child. Correct. Um, uh, she, was, um, she was born, I was 30 years old when, when she was born, and um, 
uh, it was by far the uh, most pleasant, uh, exhilarating day that uh, I can ever recall in my life. Wonderful. And then at some point, something went, went wrong between you and your wife, and you decided to part ways. That, that is correct. Uh, there were differences that um, were emotional as well as cultural, uh, even though uh, she was uh, Greek Albanian by um, background, and the, that should have uh, expedited and eased the, uh, the, the, the travel through that cultural mix, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I I thought that I was um, going to be spending the rest of my life with someone that uh, understood where I was coming from, not necessarily in the in the physical sense, but in the mental, emotional, cultural sense, and um, that unfortunately did not turn out to be the case. It was it was a situation where. Um, I guess my ideas were a little bit too progressive for her, and I don't begrudge her. Those were her views, her ideas, and they were just not mine. Things got ugly when um, those views started to impact the way we were parenting our daughter, and there was a huge dichotomy in the way that that parenting took took place. Um, Mine, of course, being a lot more open-minded, hers not at all, and uh, quickly it became very obvious to me that uh, that will cause some significant issues in the not-too-distant future because, again, uh, when those um, issues arose, it was, um, my daughter was about five years old or so. So it was, it was very, fairly early in her development, uh, yeah. but early enough to do something about it. Right. I remember from your book that when your daughter was only three, you read an article on in Fortune magazine that made a big impression on you. Can you tell us about that? Yes, actually, um, that was she was as you said she was three years old. It was the um, inaugural issue of the 1990s decade of of Fortune magazine, and and the cover of that magazine has been framed and, and hangs in my office ever since. So as I'm looking at it, the cover says, it, it, and I, I'll give you a, um, a broad stroke picture. The cover is in Christmas colors. There is a key to a brand new Porsche and a card handwritten by presumably a dad. And it says, dear son, enjoy the gift. Sorry, I cannot be around for Christmas. Love, Dad. And the, below the masthead of, of Fortune magazine, it says, why grade A executives get an F as parents? And that, to me, um, created a very tangible picture of what I didn't want to be. I couldn't fathom not being home on, on not only a special day as Christmas, but any day. Um, and uh, that that was a special day for my daughter, and, and that includes um, school games, and includes plays, and includes getting picked up from school and having dinner with her at night, and and so on and so forth. But that didn't doesn't quite 
um, correlate very well with the life of of a young um, executive who wants to advance in in this um, corporate ladder. And um, there were some things, some issues that needed to be resolved fairly early on, and those issues were all in my plate, and that was a decision that I had to make very early in the game. Do I want to be a, a father uh, that uh, has the title um, and, uh, you know, is Persephone's father, or do I want to be a father who is hands-on, roll up your sleeves and, and do the work kind of person. And I've never done anything in my life that was anything outside of the latter. Therefore, um, the decision was pretty easy. I knew what I was going to be. I knew what I wanted to do. Then it was a matter of finding the way to do it. Were you already self-employed at that point? Uh, not at that point. I became self-employed uh, two years later. That um, makes so it easier, right? It it does. It does. It made it makes it harder in some ways, but overall, it makes it easier because it gives you the, um, the flexibility on your time. And this is uh, back in in the early 1990s. Uh, the internet had just been known to exist. Um, I remember I had a laptop computer, but uh, I thought I was pretty cool when when I had a dial-up connection to the internet. And you know, if you wanted to download a picture, it took you an hour. And so, those were not the days where you could work from home or you can take work at home and 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 complete it there, almost in a seamless kind of 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 situation. BlackBerry had not been invented. Certainly, um, iPhone had not been invented. All the the tools that we use today, almost to an extreme, were not thought of back then. And so, one of the things that that I did is, is I would have breakfast with her most of the times. So I would drive her to school in the in the morning. Uh, not always, but whenever possible, I'll drive her to school in the morning. I'll go to the office. Um, I will go home and have dinner with her, stay at home. She she did not know what I was really doing until much later in her life. Um, and so I would stay at home and, and play with her and, you know, put her to bed, read her through the bedtime story and everything else. And then if more work needed to be done, I either had to go to my office at home or more more frequently go back to the office and finish the work then. Um, those of us who have started businesses uh, at the early start, um, you're pretty light on resources. So you do everything yourself. And so it's not like I could delegate things. Later that, I was fortunate enough to be able to have enough people working with me that uh, I could delegate um, tasks to, but that didn't start that way. Right. At the beginning, you have to do it all. Yes. So I've been saying since the beginning of the show that you've used some of the same principles in business and in parenting. Maybe this is a good time to say something about goals and plans and how it's the same in both aspects of your life. Yes, exactly. And and that became uh, obvious to me, uh, not in a cognitive kind of way, but uh, subconsciously, apparently, um, I found myself using an awful lot of things that I did in business, using them in my parenting. And that served me well because uh, 
because Stephanie's mom and, and I separated when uh, she was seven, and it took about three years to get divorced. So uh, at that time, I uh, there was joint custody between the two, between the her, her mom and I, um, but she had made it very clear. She, my daughter, had made it very clear that um, unlike what her mother wished, she wanted to live with dad. And of course, that was uh, music to my ears, and it was probably the only thing I didn't have to fight for because, you know, and it was the only thing that I was fully prepared to fight for um, because it, it, she made the choice and made it easy for everyone to kind of fall in line and, and play with that. So as they say, you know, be careful of what you wish because you might get it, and I got it. And so now I, I am a person who has launched a business three years into it, four years into it. The business is, is going very well, but you know, I'm, I'm uh, busy all the time and I'm being pulled from every which direction. And of course, you know, worse than when you're starting a business, uh, the, the demands of your time is, is when you're growing the business. And that again needed to be secondary to my parenting to my daughter. And so um, I decided that, um, well, we've got to have a plan. I mean, no one in their right mind will start a business without some kind of plan. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't go into business um, thinking to yourself that, you know, I'm going to make widgets and, sen- and sell them at, at the street, or I'm going to start this, you know, top flight organization, you have a plan, you have resources, you have things and issues that you're counting on, others that you are trying to acquire. And so what was my parenting plan? Well, I better come up with one. And the easiest thing that I had to do was to sit down and say, okay, what kind of parent do you want to be? And what are you prepared to invest to become that parent. I don't want to say sacrifice because I don't believe that doing anything for your child is a sacrifice. It's your duty. It's, it's the reason for, for being a parent. But it takes planning, it takes thought, and it takes energy. And those in all adults, and certainly in most parents, are in short supply. And I don't begrudge anybody. I'm, I'm, I was one of them, and at times I still am one of them, although my parenting now is is not necessarily of the same level because my daughter is 27 years old. So the, the plan was that, that I need to be a person that she would feel comfortable being with me and taking um, examples from me. And therefore, that caused me to be a lot more careful in the choices I've, I've made and the way I lived my life because I couldn't... I, I, I never believed in what we often say to our children, you know, just do that because I told you so. Well, you may say that to your child once or twice, but it's not going to hold water for, for a whole lot of time because children are not children forever. They grow up and they learn, and they can very quickly differentiate what is fact and what is fiction. And at some point, they can get to to a level where they say, well, Dad, what, why is it that you're telling me to do this, but you're doing that? And I could never come up with a good answer for that, so I 
chose very early on to teach by my own example, and I think that I was uh, the greatest beneficiary out of that. And that applied to your business as well, I think, that your your intention was to be a good role model and a mentor for some of the people you worked with, not to be the dictator who tells everybody what to do. That is correct, because if that doesn't work in business, and it certainly does not work at home. Uh, it, it, it isn't leadership and delegation and mentorship are, are very important things, and they are all interrelated, but they are absent of a dictatorship. You cannot mentor someone when you are telling them what to do. You're mentoring them when they are at your side watching you how to do things, and then at some point you'll pass that baton little by little when that when your mentee becomes strong enough and knowledgeable enough to do the thing on their own. And the best, um, the, the best reward that a mentor can possibly have is to have a successful mentee, somebody who succeeds them in what it is that they do and that they actually do it better than they were taught because that's the idea. The idea is, is that, that you are te- you're giving somebody the tools to do a particular task with, and then you cut them loose and you count on their own intellect, creativity, drive, whatever the, the adjective is, to make it their own. That is not at all different in, in raising a child as it is in mentoring um, an employee at work. You cannot have somebody under a noose and expect them to fly. Flying means you are not encumbered. And, mm-hmm. and somebody who's on a leash they will only go as far as the leash will allow them. Mm-hmm. So um, we've maybe, well, we, I guess we haven't left out the part that you became the primary parent for your daughter. Did your ex-wife stay in the picture to some degree? Did she have regular visits with your daughter? Uh, she had regular visits uh, while she was uh, in the area, but soon thereafter she decided to move out of state, and that made the the visits a bit challenging. Um, but that worked fairly well uh, for a while. The what didn't work was her own style of parenting. Um, which she was trying to apply to to my daughter when when the two of them were together, it will fly the face of of everything she knew and everything she believed in because uh, she is very much of of the mindset that um, you know I'm the mother and you're the child and you must do what I'm saying what I'm telling you to do because I said it and questioning that was not part of the picture. I kind I of, yeah, I kind of cooked my own goose, if, if you will, because I was always the person that uh, caused her and, and um, instigated her, her meaning my daughter, to ask questions and always test the hypothesis. There are some things that even if she chose to test them, they were not, they were not, up for discussion, things that dealt with 
ethics and dignity and, and what we know to be the right things to do to live an honorable life, um, I would explain them, but I will not allow them uh, to be disputed or to be debated. Um, and it was very difficult to do because I, I had to, on occasion, say, I know you may disagree, and we can agree to disagree, but for as long as you live with me, this is what you're expected to do, and there is no wiggle room around that. Mm-hmm. In the case of, of her mother, um, it was the exact opposite. Nothing was up for debate, and nothing was up for discussion. Do it because I said you need to do it, and that's that, including what it is that she wore at school, what it is that she ate, what time she ate, what time she went to bed. And I'm not talking about a 10-year-old or or a 7-year-old at the time going to bed at 10 or 11 o'clock. Her bedtime usually, uh, when, when we were together, was 8.30. Well, when she was with her mother, it had to be 8. Now, there isn't a whole lot of difference between 8 and 8.30, but that half hour was some of the most profitable time I've had with her. If you are just not being flexible enough, you are going to squeeze some things out, and many of those things may not necessarily be the things that you want to lose. And what she ended up losing is any kind of respect for her mother's judgment. So enough about that. What that caused her to do was to, to form an opinion to say, there are two different people here who think very differently, and that's not the way I think. I think like more like him, and therefore, I'm more comfortable here. The end result um, is that she has no relationship with her mother today. They have not spoken in over three plus years. Her mother didn't attend her wedding, um, oh my. and yeah, and that is that is very much at my daughter's choice. Um, she had enough heartache and, and chose um, after years of, of soul searching and therapy and, and everything else in between to say, you know what, I'll never have the mother that I was hoping to have. And, you know, that's a mother that is, you know, that has her own issues and I love her as my mother, but, but she is toxic and I can't have her around me. Okay. We are going to take another break now. Just before we do that, I want to let people know you can find Chris's book, Chief Daddy Officer, at chrisfseo.com. And I'm going to spell that because you might not guess. It's C-H-R-I-S-E-F-E-S-S-I-O-U.com. Chrisfseo.com. And now we'll go to break and we'll be back with more to say about business and more to say about parenting in a couple of minutes. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. 
Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and I'm talking today with Chris Efesio, who is a very successful entrepreneur and a very successful parent. So we're talking a little about how doing a good job as a parent involves many of the same skills as doing a good job as a business person. One of the things I like about your book and your whole orientation to parenting, Chris, is that you were so, uh, you thought about it. You know, you, you thought, what kind of child do I want to end up with? What do I want her to be like when she's an adult? We want her to be independent and self-sufficient and responsible and happy. So how are we going to get there? Um, and don't forget how unenti- are you going to get her there? How, what was your plan? <laughs> don't 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 forget the unentitled part. Unentitled, uh, yes. The, mo- the the thing that I wanted most for her, the only thing that that was going to make me feel that I was successful was to create a happy, productive individual who was in charge of herself, in charge of her thoughts, in charge of her being, and who made good decisions. Um, from that point on. We talked about earlier um, about raising a child. Well, that was one of the fundamental differences that I've had with most parents. I never raised a child. I never believed in raising a child. I raised an adult. That's what I set out to do. Because when you think about it, a child is a child from birth to 
age 18 or 21 or whatever the law tells you that your child is, is now an adult. But with good fortune, you will have an adult, the child will be an adult far longer, three or four times as long as the time they spend being a child. So if I'm busy creating a child, I'm only investing in the amount of time that's at the beginning of that person's life and not having a clear view of what the end picture ought to look like. Rather, I looked at the picture, fantasized the picture I wanted, and worked backwards. And I did that many, many times in business. I, I visualized where I wanted to take company X and set about to get it there, knowing, having seen the picture of how it ought to look like at the end. I must say that I've been very fortunate um, that my parenting and the way my daughter has grown up to be has exceeded any and every um, dream I've ever had about her. And, and, you know, I only have God to think about, to thank for that. But my position in, in getting her there was this. There were some fundamentals. Respect was a fundamental thing. You don't have to be disrespectful. And respect is not given. It's earned. And you earn it every single time. And if a parent does not think that they deserve to earn the respect of their child, they're sorely mistaken. They are going to raise an adult that will never really care about the, the parent when they don't have to care about the parent. And that's where the real value is. Do you do something when you don't have to? All of us do things that we have to because something bad's going to happen if you don't do them. But do we do the things that we want to but don't have to? Do you have the communication and the closeness with your child as an adult when your child does not have to give you that. Well, you do if you've earned it. And you earn that with every phone call, with every meeting, with every time you're looking at, at, at your child's eye, eyes, whether it's a boy or a girl, it doesn't really matter. Have you empowered that child to become a productive individual? You can't hold somebody by the hand throughout their, their entire life. When they fail to thrive at age 30, you begin to implode and you say, why is my child not succeeding? Well, did you give them the thought process? Did you give them what you could to, to enable them to become that person? Have you told them that it is great to think outside of the box? Have you taught them that there is a box and don't color outside of, of the lines because that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the most important thing in, in my mind is right along with, with the respect and the, and the self-empowerment is becoming a leader. And I don't want to be misunderstood and, and, and have your viewers think that I'm suggesting that every child becomes a leader becomes a CEO, becomes the president of the United States, a senator, whatever, whatever measurement you choose to have to define a leader. Every child must be a leader because they must lead themselves. And unless they can lead themselves, they can lead no one else. We know that those who are self-driven and can lead themselves become successful, 
happy individuals. There, there is plenty um, in in the body of evidence to to clinical evidence to to suggest that. But in addition to that, it is a person who can employ differential um, decision making. They can question. Uh, the hypothesis, they can question why somebody tells them something and realize that if they accept what it is that they were told, they accept it knowingly and they have put that through the filter of their own mind and they have come out with an informed decision of their own. I believe that is what we as parents need to do to um, arm our children in the best way we possibly can because as we all know, Parenting doesn't end at age 18 or age 21. Um, it doesn't end until the parent dies. And so it is, it is a lifelong relationship that can be the most rewarding relationship or it can be an arduous one, and it all depends on how you get it started. I see. Yeah, I like the way your book illustrates that so clearly with one example after another, one story after another from your life with your child. And and also sometimes describing what's happened in in your business world where, you know, it's also been important to encourage people to listen, to communicate, to make choices, um, you know, to respect each other. Exactly, and, and, and sometimes you have to limit those choices, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and, yes, you and, have a great example of that when your daughter wanted to take a year off before starting college. Yeah, I think we, we have just a couple of minutes to, to get into that. So uh, there was one summer, the, the summer that um, she, had, she was filing all her applications for, for college, and she was, of course, understandably stressed out. So she comes to me and says, Dad, I, I want to ask you something and don't get upset. And you know that every time they preface something with that language, you'd better, you know, fasten your seatbelt. So I, um, I asked her what, what it was about. She says, well, you know, I, I think that it would be a good thing for me to take a year off in between high school and college. I said, that's a wonderful idea. That alone blew her away because she did not expect me to give her that answer. I said, tell me what you're going to do with that year off. She says, well, I'm going to um, work a few hours in, in retail, and I'm going to take um, maybe a course or two at the community college, and, and I'm going to relax, and um, then I'm, I'm going to start school after that. I said, well, I'm all behind you, and I don't want you to work. I'm going to take care of things for you, but here's what your two choices are. You're not going to waste that that year going out and working retail, in, in your case. Um, you have two choices. One is you're going to join AmeriCorps or you're going to join the Peace Corps. She had no clue what either one of those were when, when she uh, went into the web and found out what they were. The next day she told me that she was starting college that following September because she realized that Peace Corps meant they had no blow dryers there because she'll be in areas of the world where there'd be no electricity. <laughs> and, and she is a princess, so that, that didn't fly. The, the, the gist of that is that, yes, you can give them what they want. Those were choices that she thought that, that she needed to make. I didn't tell her, no, you can't take a year off. But I did put 
rules and, and parameters as to what she was going to do with that year because, in my mind, taking that year off is terrific, but make it count for something. And, of course, she made her own choice and, and never regretted that. Okay. So I want to remind our listeners that one place where they can find your book, Chief Daddy Officer, The Business of Fatherhood, is at your website, chrisfsu.com. Um, I love the way you've written and spoken about giving your children wisdom and skills and encouraging independent thought and encouraging courtesy and respect. Any, we've got, you know, maybe a minute left. Uh, is there anything in particular you want to be sure to mention? I want to mention to the parents that, that if you think you've got a tough job in front of you, parenting a child, and you're feeling kind of taxed and pulled from every which way, do not feel badly. You are taxed. You are being pulled from every which way. Give yourself a break, take a breath, and know that no one is judging you other than yourself. Now, if you're like most people, you are your own self's worst judge or toughest judge. And so make that count. Make your parenting count. Parenting is not a passive exercise. It's a very active one. Roll up your sleeves and make informed decisions and make decisions that in some ways you wish your parents had made when they were parenting you. And if you have questions or you need some more encouragement or you need examples, as you mentioned, the book is available on the website and it's also available on Amazon.com or wherever books are available. And I can always be reached through you um, and and your program. That's true. I I know how to get in touch with you. Perfect. And I do want to add that there is a lot of very specific advice in this book that's much more than what we've been able to include in just one conversation this evening. So thank you very much. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.